Jesus, we thank you for your word in general, but for this text specifically. And and God, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts that something through this passage and this message would apply to our lives, uh, whether it be past, present, or absolutely uh, in the future, God. And we pray that you would teach us what we need uh, to know, Lord, that we would purpose to learn the lessons that you're trying to teach us. Is, that's really uh, what you're trying to get across to us in this text, that, uh, God, we uh, are tested by you, but it's for a greater purpose to, to challenge us, to grow us, because you love us. Lord, so please speak to our hearts. Spirit, we pray that you would move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, so if you look at the last two teachings, 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Samuel chapter 25, um, these, these three chapters, 1 Samuel 24, 25, and 26, all the chapters connect, but these three really, really connect, and really it's the same theme that God's trying to get across to David and to us. If you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David had an opportunity to slay King Saul, right? Saul came to use the bathroom, just so happened it was the cave that uh, David and his men were at. David had a chance, his boys are like, kill him, he doesn't kill him, he cuts off a piece of his robe, and then he has this dialogue, you remember? Well, we see that God was testing David. And what was he testing him with? Uh, He was testing uh, his faith. Uh, Will you trust me to put you in the position as king and not try to take the throne for yourself? So we titled that message, Yahweh's will, Yahweh's way. Because Yahweh's will must be done Yahweh's way. It was Yahweh's will that David would become king, but it had to come about Yahweh's way. Yahweh would make David king. David didn't have to make himself king. Then, connecting to that, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, really the same theme. We're introduced to this fool named Nabal. And in the Hebrew, his name, as we discussed, it actually means fool. And this guy is rich, but he's a rich jerk, if you will. And David takes care of this guy's sheep. He has 3,000 sheep. David and his men do this guy such a service. None of his sheep go missing. None of them are slain. None of them are taken from by the Philistines. And David just says, hey, can you feed us? You know, it's a feast day. It's the time. I'm to, to harvest the wool. Can you take care of me and my men? David sent 10 messengers with that message to Nabal. And Nabal said, no. Who is David, son of Jesse? In other words, he's nothing now. He doesn't even have a place in the palace. David is a nobody as far as I'm concerned. Well, of course, David gets offended about this. And what does he do? He says, hey, guys, grab your swords. 400 of us are going to go after this dude. We're going to kill him and not just him. All the men in his household. Luckily, the Lord and his sovereignty, he knocked on a woman's heart and a ball's wife. Her name was Abigail. If you remember this beautiful, wise woman, and she finds out she catches uh, a word that that David is going to come take out all these people from one of the messengers that was aware of the situation. And she goes to meet David with all these possessions, all this provision, food and all these different things to provide for the men. And, and David's just awestruck 
this beautiful woman providing all these possessions, then she gives so much wisdom. And the way that she communicates to David, she addresses the sin without like calling him out on it in a harsh way. And she reminds him of the promise that God made to him, that God is going to make David the king of Israel eventually. And she is very convincing, so much so, David believes her and he's like, all right. I get it. I, I was getting ready to sin. But the connection is just as God was trying to teach David to trust him in 1 Samuel chapter 24 by not slaying King Saul, he was testing him with faith, testing him to see if he would trust him again with Nabal. Because what ended up happening? God slayed Nabal. David didn't have to go after Nabal because of the harsh words that he said about him. God took care of it. In God's sovereignty, he prevented David from sinning. But not only that, he avenged David. Why? Because God promises that vengeance is mine. Vengeance is is his. Thus says the Lord. So we see these two chapters. David. Learning very similar lessons. The first time he almost, he passes 1 Samuel 24. The second time in 1 Samuel chapter 25, he almost fails. Now we'll see him tested with this a third time in 1 Samuel chapter 26. Just because we pass a test once or twice doesn't mean that God won't test us in that same area over and over again. And often He'll test us in the same areas. It might be different circumstances, a different scenario, a different situation, but often the theme is the same. God says, this is what I need you to work on and I'm going to test you in this area over and over and over again until you pass the test. And that's title of this teaching a test past a test past and we'll see in this chapter david will pass this test but just because he passes the test doesn't mean he won't be tested in the same area again later on in life he certainly will but we'll also see That God doesn't just have a test for David, he also has a test for King Saul. He's trying to teach King Saul something differently, but he's testing King Saul in the same area. Just as he's testing David in the same area. King Saul has a chance to pass a test as well. Let's look at it. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding and the hill of Hakilah opposite Jeshimon, these Ziphites, they already ratted David out once. Now they're ratting David out again. I don't know the beef they have with David. Uh, I don't think they really have an issue with David personally because the text doesn't reveal that. More likely, they're probably just trying to gain favor with King Saul. This is a man-pleasing issue at the very least. But what we see here is Saul being tested. Is David not hiding in the hill? Well, the Ziphites already told him that in the past. He went to go get David. And God had to teach him a lesson the hard way by revealing to him that David had the opportunity to slay him and he didn't. God was not allowing Saul to go after David and be successful. Now, if you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 
after David cut off the robe and confronted Saul, Saul promised, he swore, David, I won't come after you anymore, in other words. So we got to remember that and we got to make the connection. He already swore that he will not go after David again. Now he has another chance to go after David. This should have been something that was expected. Saul should have anticipated this. If he had any kind of relationship with the Lord, he would have realized, no, this is a test from God. He's sending the Ziphites to test me to see if I'll keep my word, to see if I will be honest or I will deceive. Point number one, anticipate tests. Anticipate tests. He should have anticipated this test. But so should we. Why do we get so surprised and so thrown off when God tests us? In 1 Peter chapter 4, in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would with me, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter's like, quit getting surprised when you go through trials. Quit Quit getting caught off guard when God walks you through a test. You're a Christian. You should expect to be tested. Why? Because Jesus promised this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise from the Lord. In the world you will absolutely have tribulation. It doesn't mean you're going to have constant tribulation. But if you're not going through tribulation now, you will be in the future. It's inevitable. So why don't we anticipate this? Why are we so thrown off guard when it happens? If we aren't anticipating tests as a Christian, then we're making a huge mistake. We're making a big mistake. It's really part of it is I'm not trusting God's word that he says you're going to have tribulations. It's really rooted in pride, if you will. It's assuming that there's downtime in Christianity. I can kick back, put my feet on the desk. I can chill. Nothing's going to happen. This is a season of peace. It might be for a moment, but that doesn't mean that there's not a storm right around the corner. I think my life should be easy because God loves me. I'm a child of God. Doesn't that mean life should be better for Christians? No, it's actually the opposite. Whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's another promise from the Lord. We can't just cruise through this Christian walk and expect it to just be a piece of cake. Expect it to be easy. We should anticipate hard times. Now that doesn't mean it's like, oh, woe is me. Um, life isn't that bad right now, but I know it's just going to get bad right around the corner. No, the Bible says count it all joy. Why? Because God's doing something precious through the testing, which we'll get into in a moment as it's revealed through David's story. Now Saul is going to fail this test. And I believe a big reason why he fails this test, one, he doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, but two, he's not anticipating this test. On the contrary, we'll see David is anticipating this test, and that's why he passes. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 2, 
Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So what does Saul do? What we all expected him to do. He goes after David. You dummy, this is another test from God. You promised you wouldn't do this. You've been spending so much time going after David to accomplish what? Absolutely nothing. Wasting time, effort, and energy. Not being the king and ruling over your people the way you should. You're wasting your life pursuing this thing. Saul continues to fail the same test over and over and over. This is point number two. Stop failing the same tests. Stop failing the same tests. We often fall into this place where we fail the same tests over and over and over again, just as Saul and David and their examples. Yeah, it might be different scenarios, but the lesson God's trying to get across to us, we don't take it in this scenario and maybe learn it and apply it to this other scenario. Is that you? Are you one of those people? It's like God keeps testing you on the same thing over and over. And it's like you know what he's doing, but you're not anticipating the test. And you sure ain't passing the test. You keep failing it. Well, if that's you and me, you're in good company. The disciples had this same issue. In Matthew chapter 14, in Matthew chapter 14, we're going to look at two passages in Matthew in Matthew chapter 14, verse 15, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it says, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. People in need, they say, hey, we need to send them away so they can get food. And look what Jesus says. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat, okay? We're in the ministry of taking care of people, guys. We're not in the ministry of just sending people away. Look what happens in the next chapter. Matthew chapter 15. There's this Gentile woman that has this uh, interesting encounter with Jesus. And look at what the disciples say. Verse 23, it says, But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Guys, the last time you said send people away, Jesus corrected you and said, no, we're going to help this these people. Same scenario, uh, or different scenario, I'm sorry, same lesson. Jesus is going to heal this woman's daughter. He was there to take care of her. He wasn't sending her away. The point is, just as the disciples, just as King Saul were tested in the same areas and continue to fail, sometimes we can do that too. But it's so foolish. It's like we have this tendency to keep bashing our heads against a brick wall and wondering why it hurts so bad. It's like you keep doing the same thing. You're bringing destruction into your life. You might want to switch it up. You might want to do things differently. You might want to try to understand what God's trying to teach you so you don't keep running into a wall or running into a dead end. This is what Saul is doing once again. But he's not alone. It says in verse Two, that he has 3,000 men with him. How many men does David have with him? Anyone remember? 600, right? David has 600 men. So anyone can do math. Uh, that simply, right? 600 verse 
3,000, it's a little versus a lot, right? It's a, yeah, 600 guys versus 3,000 guys. This is a perfect scenario for God to get the glory. Now, if you're facing a test that seems easy, that you can easily accomplish, it's likely, probably not a test from the Lord. If you're tested and you get to this place that you're so overwhelmed, you're in over your head, the odds are against you, something should click. Okay, I know I can't do this thing. God is trying to get me to lean on Him. So when I lean on Him and I'm able to overcome, He gets the glory. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Because we're weak. He wants to be made strong through us. That's what He often does with us when He allows us to face challenges. If they're not difficult enough, We'll think we had something to do with passing the test. But when they're hard, when we know we can't do it on our own, God again gets all the glory. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 3. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. Imagine what David is thinking. We don't know if David trusted Saul's words, but you would assume that David probably thinks after that encounter, hey, the guy told me he's not going to come after me anymore. He, He probably won't. Imagine what he's thinking in this moment. This guy is relentless. He said he wouldn't do this, but he's doing it. I should have taken him out back in the cave when I had the chance. I'm a fool. Was I really hearing from the Lord then? Like God gave me the chance then and I didn't take advantage. What is going on here? This guy is still out to get me. Now, these are things that I'd likely be thinking. I showed this guy mercy and I shouldn't have showed him mercy. This guy doesn't deserve mercy. He deserves the sword. But when we read the rest of the text, we see that this isn't what David is thinking. This isn't what David is thinking. David isn't thinking, man, I messed up. David recognizes that this is another test from God. So David, he sent out spies. He's a wise commander. He knows God's got his back, but he's not just walking in there foolishly and arrogantly. He he says, no, we're going to send out spies and we're going to check this thing out. I'm not bringing my 600 up against 3,000. He knows and is confident in God's favor, but he's also erring on the side of wisdom. I'm going I'm I'm to find out some more information before we come up with a strategy and make a move. 1 Samuel chapter 26 Verse 5, so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. So David arose, and he comes into the camp where Saul is encamped. David didn't hide. 
He approached this thing boldly. Yes, he did it with wisdom, but we see David as this bold, also wise, daring leader. We continue to see these character qualities in David. If it were me, I'd probably be like, guys, it's, it's ready to, it's time to bail, right? It's time to leave town. This dude came with 3,000 of his people. David's like, no, I'm trusting God in this. I, I'm not afraid of my enemy. I'm going to confront my enemy. And that's exactly what David is getting ready to do. Now Saul is uh, in this camp and his guys are all around him. This would have been very difficult for David to get to where Saul is. But David has like ninja skills and he's going to get there and do some sneaky stuff. We'll get into that in just a moment. Let's move on to verse 6. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. David didn't try to do this solo. He asked for help. This is point number three. We need help to pass tests. We need help to pass tests. It's hard to pass tests on our own. Now, there are certain scenarios where God tests us and it's specifically something that we have to walk through with the Lord. But more often than not, the Lord will test us in hopes that we wouldn't just lean on Him, but we would lean on the people around us. Don't ever believe the lie that you're in this on your own. If you're going through a test right now, or you just recently did, or you're getting ready to wherever you are in that spectrum of testing, don't think, i got to walk through this by myself. It's a lie. There's people to help you. People that want to help you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that we should not forsake the assembly of the brethren. Meaning we're supposed to do this thing together as the body of Christ. That's why we put the things in place in this church that we do. That's why we don't just have Sunday service or just Sunday and Wednesday service. That's why we do home groups. We try to provide opportunities for people to connect and, and walk through things together. If we're not walking through things together, if we're not trying to use the help that's around us to pass tests, then we're being foolish and we're being prideful. And you might think that it's, oh, I'm being humble, but no, it's being prideful. I don't want anyone to know. I don't want anyone to know what I'm walking through. I don't know if they could handle it. They might look at me differently. Those are all lies from the enemy. Abishai, he says, as a faithful friend, I will go down with you. Think about this. Two dudes going down, 3,000 guys, and we're going to go to the middle to get King Saul. That's what they're going to do. But Abishai says, yeah, I'll go with you. This is a suicide mission. This is a suicide mission. No one thinking in their right mind would say, we're going to make our way out of this scenario, anyone that has logic and reasoning would say, no, this is a situation where we're absolutely going to die. But Abishai was a faithful friend. 
And he was willing to put his life on the line for David. That's the kind of guy that he was. And David, in his humility, again, he asks for help, knowing that somebody would likely step up to help him. Now, sometimes our test can seem so overwhelming that it prevents us from asking people for help. There's no way this person is willing to help me in this scenario. This is just too much to bear. This burden is too heavy. They can't help me here. I can't talk to them about this. I can't share this with them. I can't ask them for help. It's two of us going against 3,000. And those tests can be overwhelming, but again, God allows them to be overwhelming so that we'll seek him and we'll seek others. You'd be surprised about how many people would show up to help you. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of Abishai's out there. I know there's a lot of Abishai's here in this church that if you ask for help, they will be there to help you. Your test is not too big to not receive help from other people. Moving on, 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and where Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. And I will not have to strike him a second time. I'm going to get it done with on one blow. So we see the advice from Abishai. He's a faithful friend. He's willing to lay down his life for David. Then he gives his friend David advice. He's a faithful friend right now, or just previously in the last verse, but now he's given some advice that that isn't from the Lord. Once again, we see you can have faithful friends that will give you advice that is not from the Lord. So it's important for us to be seeking the Lord and the Lord first for counsel. Then go to our friends. Make sure the two line up. Abishai is probably thinking what we're all thinking. You messed up the last time and not killing him in the cave. That was your chance then. Come on, let's take care of it. We may never get another chance like this again. He says, please let me strike him at once with the spear. Whose spear? Saul's spear. This would have brought something up to David's mind, remember? This is the same spear that Saul threw at David on several occasions. So it just seems set up, right? It's perfect. David, we get to kill Saul with the spear that he kept throwing at you. Not only that, David, you don't have to kill him. I'll kill him for you. All you have to do is say, go, just do it. I'll kill him with his spear. You can watch. You have to do nothing except give me the go ahead. Everything seems so obviously easy. Seems like an obvious choice. Yes, Let Abishai do it. It's not David's sin, right? Yes, David would have credit for this sin by allowing it to happen. But David, in his wisdom, says, verse 9, David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He's saying, Abishai, I don't want you to kill him for your sake. This is going to be on you. Yes, because David's the authority. He's going to have responsibility. But he says, no, 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 we're, we're not going to do this. David knows that this is another test. God is testing David once again in the same area, the trusting area, 
over and over again. Why would God test David in the same area three times in three chapters? Because he wants him to learn the lesson. He wants him to retain this thing, to, to, to keep it in his heart so that he trusts the Lord forever. It's point number four. The more we're tested, the more we retain. The more we're tested, the more we retain. God will test us over and over and over and over and over again to solidify the lessons in our hearts and in our minds. We see three times, 24, 25, now 26, the same lesson. God keeps testing David. Why? Because he's trying to perfect him. That's James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. We mentioned it earlier. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That word perfect in the Greek is the word mature. God is trying to mature us. And how does He mature us? He matures us by testing us and testing us and testing us again. And then when we think the test is over, here comes another one. It's not to harm us. It's to help us. It's because He loves us. And as any good father would, He wants to mature us. He wants to grow us up. He does this through the avenue of testing. If we want to be perfected, then we got to be tested. Now, when I was studying to be a personal trainer, um, I remember the first practice test I took, I think I got like a 50 on it. And I'm like, oh shoot, this test is in, I think it, two weeks at that point. I'm like, well, I had to get like, uh, I think an 80 or above to, to pass. And I'm like, I've been studying for months and I get a 50 on this thing. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. I did better in college. This was so hard. It was so difficult. So you know what I started doing? Taking practice tests over and over and over and over and over and over. I don't know. I probably took over 10 practice tests. And by the time I took the final test, I think I got like an 85 on it or something. The point is, as we take tests over and over and over and over again, we get better at them. We grow. We mature just as when God tests us over and over and over again. We might have passed the test in the past, but God, again, will give us a different scenario. So we solidify that lesson in that character in our heart even more than we did in the past now we think about this and many of us love studying the word of god and that's great it's great it's good to have that heart and the lord calls us to have that heart to study to show ourselves approved as unto god faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god you will grow from studying the word of god but the most significant spiritual growth spurt you'll ever experience is being tested on what you know <laughs> okay you might know this but it only does, does you so much good until you learn to apply it, till you're tested to see where you're at with this thing, how your understanding lines up with the way that you live your lives. And as you're tested, that's when we're perfected. The Word produces faith, but it's the tests that perfect us. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 10. David 
said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or his day shall come to die. Or he shall go out to battle and perish. Look what David says here. As the Lord lives, his day shall come. David is fully trusting God to avenge him. He's learned the lesson. He knows this is another test. And if you recall back in the last chapter, what happened? God had to use Abigail, but ultimately David, hey, he didn't fail. He didn't completely fail the test. He trusted God and God avenged him. God solidified it in your in his mind. I got your back, David. I got your back, man. I'm going to take care of you. Vengeance is mine. I will take care of your enemies. You don't have to take care of them. Or at least not all the time you don't. In this specific scenario, being King Saul, it wasn't for David to take Saul out. This was God's responsibility. But see, David is doing something in chapter 26 that he didn't do in chapter 25. In chapter 25, he wasn't taking the lesson from chapter 24 and and inserting it into the scenario in chapter 25. Now he's taking the lesson from chapter 24 and 25 and he's inserting it in the scenario in chapter 26. He's realizing that the lessons don't just apply to a certain circumstance. This lesson applies to all circumstances. I got to trust God in everything, whether someone's out to kill me or someone offends me. I need to trust him all the time. And then he says, prophetically, at least in some sense, he says, or he shall go out to battle and perish. That's exactly what's going to happen to Saul in chapter 31. We'll get there in a few weeks. First Samuel 26, verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So David, he's taking the jug and the spear. Why? He's not like pranking Saul. Okay, he's not like, hee hee, you know. He's showing Saul, which we'll see later on, that he had another opportunity to kill him, and he didn't. He doesn't want the spear. He doesn't want the jug. This is just to prove a point. And we see David and Abishai, they get away without anyone waking up. Now David, he might be as sly as a ninja, But God's at work too. Yahweh's doing something too. And this is an awesome opportunity to see where God's sovereignty meets man's responsibility. For whatever reason, David knew this was something that he was supposed to do. uh, Or at least God blessed what he was doing. And he takes this courageous step of faith to grab the spear and the jug. Not committing any sin. Not stealing this stuff. Not killing Saul or allowing Abishai to kill Saul. He takes this step of faith and God meets him on the other side. Giving the whole army this deep sleep so often that's how it works when we take care of our responsibility and walk by faith god takes care of his responsibility and protects us and provides for us and opens doors for us we have a responsibility and god has a responsibility he will always hold up his end of the bargain but we have a choice as to whether we hold up 
our end or not. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 13. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great distance between them. And David called out to the people to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good as the lord lives. You deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jug of water that was by his head. Basically, he's saying, Abner, you ain't half the servant that I was. Like, I would have been aware of this. I was more faithful to Saul than you were. So this is, yes, uh, kind of an insult to Abner. We know, okay, give Abner a little break. God put a deep sleep over him. But David, what he's trying to get at is he's been so faithful to Saul that the whole time he was serving him in the palace in, in Abner isn't as faithful as David was. This was also for Saul to hear. This guy couldn't protect you, but I always protected you. Moving on, 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men that may be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So so now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountain so david he comes off with respect my lord my king this guy is out to kill him again once again david has humility he's acting in this heart of submission towards king saul and he asks him lord why are you pursuing me Why are you pursuing your servant? Why do you keep coming after me? I've done nothing wrong. If I've done nothing wrong, or if I've done something wrong, let me provide an offering, a sacrifice to make things right with you and right with God. But if I haven't done anything wrong, then leave me alone. Stop pursuing me. Stop following me. See, David is calling Saul out on his sin, but he's doing it once again in a very tactful, very strategic way. He's doing it with humility, with respect, and he's portraying love and kindness. When we confront people in their sin, this is the way to do it. Why? Because this is how God does it. It's Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, says this, Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
Not the wrath of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the loving character qualities of God. That's what leads us to repentance. So if we want to inspire repentance in our friends and our family members and our co-workers, we do it with loving kindness. Now that doesn't mean that there's not a place for hard truth. There absolutely is, but we always have to make sure that it's truth in love, that love is the emphasis connected with the truth, that they know you're doing this or you're confronting them, not just because they're bothering you and you don't like what they're doing, but that you're genuinely concerned with their walk, what they're doing. Again, not because it affects you, but because how it affects him. Now, David tells us what bothers him the most about King Saul coming after him. It's not just King Saul trying to kill him. It's not that he lost his position in the palace. It's this. 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 19, it says, But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord. What is he referring to? He's referring to the land of Israel. Okay. Also, he says, saying, Go serve other gods. In other words, this was the most upsetting thing to David because now David couldn't come into the house of the Lord and worship God. Now David knows that God is omnipresent. He talks about it in the Psalms. He's not confused and thinks that God only dwells in the tabernacle in this time. He has good doctrine. He's the one that that tells us this uh, through the Psalms that God is omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit, right? So why is David saying this? He knows there's something special about coming to the house of God. He knows there's, there's something uh, that God does when we come to his house. Yes, he's omnipresent, but when we put the effort and the energy to leave our homes and go to his home, the church, whatever church it is, There's something special that happens there. There's a special connection that happens with the Lord there. David knew this, and this is why he's so upset. I'm just surrounded with all these pagan idol worshipers, and I want to get back to the house of God. I've been in the world too long. I need to get to my church. I want to be in his presence fully. So he goes on. 1 Samuel. Chapter 26, verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes. This day, indeed, I played the fool and erred exceedingly. Saul has played the fool. That really sums up his kingship, if you will, constantly making foolish decisions. Now, he's going to say some similar words that he said back in 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24, he was like weeping. It seemed like it was godly sorrow. We see later on it wasn't actually godly sorrow. Now, he appears to be repenting again, but we can't be sure if it's sincere. We will see that this is the last encounter that David has with Saul. And this is the last time Saul comes after David. So Saul could have learned his lesson, but when we'll get to 1 Samuel chapter 27 next week, we see it looks like the primary reason Saul stops going after David is because David uh, goes to the land of the Philistines after this. So we don't know for sure. It seems that's the main reason. Uh, Maybe Saul learned his lesson. Maybe he didn't. We can't know for sure. 1 Samuel chapter 22, 
sorry, chapter 26, verse 22. And David answered and said, here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. Maybe David's not fully trusting Saul. Send one of the men over. I'm not sure about your words. I don't know what he was thinking there. Verse 23, may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness for the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. So look what David says. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. David didn't just trust God to avenge him with King Saul and take King Saul out somehow, some way. He also trusted God to bless his faithfulness. David understood something. He understood what Paul later talks about in Galatians chapter 6. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. And David... He realized somehow, some way, yes, this was the right thing to do, but he talks about repayment. He knows this is going to pay off later. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, says this, in other words, judge others as you want to be judged. So David, he's judging with mercy. He's judging with grace. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. If you want mercy, you better extend mercy. If you're not extending mercy, you may not receive mercy from other individuals. Whether David realizes it or not in this moment, he's going to be in desperate need for mercy from God later down the road. Or he messes up several times. One real big one. First Samuel chapter 26, verse 25. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So what did Saul do? He went his way. David went another way. But Saul finally gave up the fight sometimes to pass the test it means to give up the fight remember i'm not talking about the good fight but saul's been fighting for the wrong thing for way too long he was trying to grasp grasp something what was that he wanted to take david out it was basically an idol in his life he was pursuing that constantly thinking about it going mad over jealousy because of who david was and who he wasn't for Saul to pass his test, he had to give up. He had to surrender. He had to stop pursuing the desire of his heart, if you will. He had to stop wrestling with God. And sometimes, just as Jacob did in the Old Testament, we can get in these wrestling matches with God. I want this thing, I'm pursuing this thing, but God won't let me have it. So I'll take a break, but then I'm going to go back to pursuing this thing because I want it so bad. Eventually, I'm determined to get it. And we wrestle with God over and over and over again. But let me tell you something that you already know. That's not a wrestling match we're ever going to win. We're never going to win that wrestling match. The sooner we say uncle, the better. You guys know what that means, right? Uncle? Okay. Wilma, it's, it's an American thing. We'll explain it later. It's like if somebody like 
If somebody's like picking on you, messing with you, they'll like hurt you or pinch you until you say uncle. That means I give up. OK, another word for surrender. OK, the Lord wants to wants to bring us to that place of surrender that we're not holding on to that thing, but we're willing to give it to the Lord. The more we wrestle for that thing that the Lord doesn't want us to have. The more destruction the more injuries, if you will, we're going to bring into our lives. If we're not willing to say, uncle, immediately, we too, just like Jacob, will end up walking away with a limp. It's going to hurt us. It's going to be painful. God will make sure we learn the lesson. If we don't surrender on our own, he will bring us to that place of surrender, just as he does Saul here in this text. Again, it says, last sentence of verse 25, so David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Each man walked away, hopefully with a lesson learned and a test passed. Now, Saul didn't pass his test. He perhaps maybe learned his lesson. We don't know for sure. He doesn't go after David, but we talked about uh, some potential reason why as David goes and spends time with the Philistines in the next chapter for a while. But again, this was the third time in a row that God tested David on the same issue and God will continue to test us on the same issues over and over and over again until we pass the test this is the fifth and final point tests are meant to be passed tests are meant to be passed God tests us in hopes that we'll pass. Now, he knows when we're going to fail, but he's not setting us up for failure And even in God's eyes, failure sometimes is success. But the point is, God was giving Saul an opportunity to pass this test. But he was giving David an opportunity to pass the test as well. The difference, David's in tune with the Lord. He recognizes this is a test. Saul, he he doesn't, but eventually, hopefully, he ended up learning his lesson. So God will continue to test us and hammer these lessons home until we pass it. What's our responsibility in this? It's to press on. It's to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? Ultimately, perfection. It's pressing on to become the men and women that God's called us to be. We got to press on until we pass the test. How many of you went from first grade to third grade? Me neither. Yeah? First grade to third grade or you go to first grade to second grade? (laughs) how many so hey there's people that skip grades my mom did but the norm typically you go from what first grade to second grade to third grade think about this spiritually if we're not able to accomplish the material and understand the things in first grade why would we ever think we're going to make it to second grade what will happen we'll get held back God will test us with those first grade lessons over and over and over again till we understand what it means to be a first grader. So he can take us to that next level of maturity and now we can enter into the second grade of Christianity, if you will. But if we're not willing to embrace the lessons in first grade and pass the test that he has for us in first grade, he's going to keep treating us like a first grader. And sadly, but truly, there are some Christians that I know that have been Christians for decades and God's still giving them first grade material. Why? 
Because they haven't learned the lessons from first grade. They're not ready for second grade yet. The Lord wants us to grow. He wants us to continue on. So much so that He's promised, He's determined to perfect us so that eventually we'll pass the test and be just that. Perfected. That promise is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning, God is dedicated to perfecting you. And that perfection is a process. It's over a lifetime. And He's going to continue to test you, to perfect you, until the Lord comes back or He takes you home to be with the Lord. As these men go their separate ways, they can rest assured that another test is right around the corner. And there is. How will they respond? How will you respond knowing that there's another test right around the corner? And I'm not saying that speaking test in your life. It's just inevitable. It's something that God promised. If we expect these tests to come and understand what God's heart is behind these tests, how will it affect the way that we walk through them? We know they're coming. It's inevitable. And we know that God will continue to test us with the same things over and over and over and over again until we learn the lessons that he's trying to teach us. But we have a choice in the matter. We can press on, purpose to learn the lessons, purpose to take this lesson and understand that it applies to this scenario and this scenario and this scenario. Or we can continue to fail the test over and over and over again. God will be faithful to test us for our benefit, but we choose how to respond to the test. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. God, as we see how you shape David and and how you shape all of your servants across the board, throughout the scriptures and throughout our lives, Lord, we know that one of your main tools is is testing to perfect us, God. And it's hard for us when we're walking through it to understand what you're doing and we don't always see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, But I pray that we would, God, and we would have a proper spiritually mature perspective, God, that you would give us the ability by your spirit to pass the test, uh, that we wouldn't keep running our heads into the same door Lord, but we would understand what doors are open, what doors are shut, what's from you, what's not from you, and what you're trying to do in each of us, God. So we pray uh, that you would just bless us. We thank you that you're a good father. You love us enough to, to grow us. In Jesus' name, amen.